In this episode, I spoke to Chris Blackhurst, author of the book The World's Biggest Cash Machine. We spoke about the history of Manchester United, the Glazers, and why he decided to write this book. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I've always been interested in um, uh, in business people who do things that others can't or won't do. Um, I've always had an interest in football. I'm not a United fan, but I know the United story. I grew up in the north of England. And so you grow up with Manchester United. And here you had this family from uh, from America who are barely known, not even known in America, um, who end up buying the world's biggest football club. And then they hang on to it for 18 years, during which time there's, you know, massive protests against them, but they still carry on. And the more I looked into it, the more fascinating it became. How long did it take to write the book? Um, about six months. Six months? Um, a bit longer, actually. Probably about nine months. The history of the club's quite interesting as well. Could you explain how the club started? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Manchester United was originally um, Newton Heath Railway Workers, uh, um, the railway company club. It was a, a side that was for a railway company and their workers. It was actually intended as a way of um, making some of the railway workers get fit um, and stop them sort of drinking too much and sitting around and eating and drinking. And so they formed a football team. This was right back um, in the 19th century. And, um, and then it changed its name to Manchester United. Um, it's always had fans who make their feelings known. I mean, probably more than any other club. They've had protests, riots, all sorts of falling outs with um, different owners down the years. Um, and then, of course, the terrible incident, the terrible disaster of 1958 and the Munich air crash when they lost um, their star players and officials. And then the the resurrection of the club under Matt Busby with Bobby Charlton, George Best, Dennis Law, Nobby Styles, all those great names. Um, and then later on with Sir Alex Ferguson and, and the class of 92, Beckham, Giggs, um, Skulls, etc. At the time of the um, crash of the plane, uh, who was the owner of the club? Um that is a very good question. I would have to check that. <laughs> uh, God, uh, hang on. Uh, I think he was called Davis, wasn't he? Uh, I have to literally check. Because um, there's been quite a few owners. But the one, Edwards? The one no, that Edwards, had the... Edwards was later. They were after that. Um, I can't find it now. It wasn't the Edwards family. They, they came after that. How many uh, owners has Man United had? Oh, I can't tell you the exact figure, but quite a few. Quite a few. And the owners after Edwards, there was um he's tried his son tried to sell the club, didn't he? Yeah, Martin Edwards took over from Louis Edwards. He had the club for many years. Um he floated it, which actually enabled people to buy shares in it, which is how it all happened. Mm. Um and then lastly the Glazers. And between um when he tried to sell the club to there was I forget the name, Knighton. There's Michael Knighton had an option to buy the club. Yeah. Uh, and then also Rupert Murdoch tried to buy the club. Robert Maxwell tried to buy the club. 
Um, but not none of them succeeded. Philip Green tried to buy the club as well, didn't he? He tried to buy the option from Michael Knighton, yeah. How, how come he didn't get the, the option then? Michael Knighton didn't have enough money, and he, but he, he wasn't prepared to sell to Philip Green. He didn't want to. He just didn't want to. He wanted to keep the club for himself. No, he he had an, he thought he could still buy the club. Mm. Um, it turned out he couldn't. He didn't have enough. But at that particular moment, he didn't want to sell. And Murdoch tried as well, but he couldn't buy. What was the reason for that? Um, because he owned Sky and he was blocked by the competition regulators. Because it would be a conflict of interest, or yeah, yeah, competition, but he conflict of interest owning Sky Television and um, Manchester United at the same time. Didn't even uh, didn't Ferguson try to buy the club as well? No, 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 not at all. He'd like he'd like to he'd like to have owned the club, but he didn't try to buy it. And the Glazers, what is their history? The history of their businesses that they had before they came into sports. Um, well, the family was really run by Malcolm Glazer. Malcolm Glazer's father died when he was 15. He mm. was a jewellery um, and watch repair business. Malcolm Glazer took over the business really aged 15, um, started repairing, you know, running a jewellery and watch business, um, and was very successful a businessman, went into real estate and shopping malls, um, he got into mobile he, parks as well, didn't he? He what? He got into mobile he, parks, trailer parks. Yeah, he went into mobile caravan homes, uh, mobile parks. Um, but he also had lots of interests in businesses. He he got a reputation um, on Wall Street for buying into businesses that nobody else really wanted, that were sort of tired and clapped out. Um, and then he'd, he'd sort of run them into the ground. But what do you mean, run them into the ground? Well, he didn't invest in them. So he would just take money out over and over yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a cost cutter. And then in some of the businesses he did, um, it's called green mail? Yeah, that's when you take a stake in a company and you think you threaten that you're going to take it over mm. and the people pay you more money effectively to go away. And then after that, how did he get into sports? Because in America, he got into... Well, he'd, um... he'd always wanted to own a franchise. Um, he wasn't bothered which sport. In the end, he got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Florida. And then he got into... How did he get into the um, football scene in the UK? He bought shares in Manchester United because he could, because they were available on the stock market. He wanted to get into European football because that was taking off with TV rights. And um, uh, he was able to build a stake in Manchester United. And then because of a row between Alex Ferguson and two shareholders over a racehorse, the shareholders sold their shares to um, Glazer and that's enabled him to buy the club. So once the Glazers bought um, Man United, what was their way of getting the club more profitable? Uh, they They entered into... Um, all sorts of um, commercial deals, sponsorship deals. The commercial side of the club was very good. Um, they developed that and they set up a, a separate operation in London to do all the advertising and marketing deals and the endorsements. And they did loads of those, more than any other club. 
And that was based in London, uh, the chapter that you had, the black box, right? Yeah, yeah. Seems like everyone that tries to own Man United, it seems like they get hate. It, there doesn't seem to be any positive other than the um, financial side. So who would be an ideal um, um, owner? I don't, think that's necessarily, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, if, if the club's doing well on the pitch, the fans are very forgiving. Um, when the club starts losing, yes, the fans do turn. I mean, uh, there's a section in the book about the history of Manchester and protest. Mm. Um which is unique to Manchester. I mean, it is a city that I know well where people are no respecters of money or authority. That's the Manchester psychology. Um, that's why it's always been at the centre of political unrest. Um, but if the club's doing well, um, the fans can be very forgiving. Um, the Under the glaze, I mean, the reason they didn't like the glazers, though, was that the fans want, they want an owner who is seen to love the club and embrace the club. And the Glazers, in their eyes, never did that. But the Glazers did take the club to a, a new level, being known globally and being able to monetize that and commercialize yeah, that. But, but if you're a fan, being known globally and monetizing don't concern you. What concerns you is... The, the the owner showing a passion and interest in the club and turning up to the matches and being part of the whole community and the Glazers never were. But there's not that many owners in the Premier League that are like that in other clubs as well. Um, well, there's quite a few. Roman Abramovich um, would turn up at Chelsea and watch matches. Todd Bowley goes to Chelsea. Um, Daniel Levy goes to Tottenham. I mean, these are people who are immersed in their clubs. I mean, I support Fulham. Mohamed Al-Fayed um, used to come on the pitch and wave a scarf around every time they played. Shadiq Khan, Shahid Khan, the new the owner now, um, he turns up at matches. I mean, they're there. So the Glazers don't usually turn up because they have other obligations or...? No. Um, well, whatever their reason for not turning up is, I don't know. The The reason they give now is they're scared about their own security. That's a circular argument. I mean, the reason the fans protest is because they don't turn up. But who would the fans like? The like, Who would be an ideal owner for Man United then? Someone who is prepared to spend an awful lot of money on Old Trafford, Carrington, the training ground, buying the top players, buying the best managers, um, ensuring that the football side was as good as it could be, as good as Manchester City and Liverpool, if not better, um, and who attended matches and was seen to care. Because practically at this moment in time, there's there were two people that wanted to, well, that could have become the owners, which was Radcliffe and the guy from Qatar. Um, did the fans want any of them to be the owners? Um, I think originally they preferred Jim Ratcliffe because they thought he was local. Mm. Um, but it's turned out that Jim Ratcliffe isn't going to buy the entire club. He's only going to get 25%. So that means the Glazers are still there. So the fans aren't convinced by Jim Ratcliffe, although they do think, they like to think that he will have some leverage over the Glazers. Um, they were quite keen on Qatar, but Qatar's pulled out. 
And the reason for that was the price is too much, or um, I think it just wasn't going anywhere. The negotiations. What was the price uh, tag of the club? Well, I think the the Glazers want six billion, um, uh, and Qatar only got to five, I think. And Radcliffe said he's going to, only going to buy twenty five percent. Yeah, he's paying one point two five for twenty five percent, which is actually that's only five. Um, he's putting in a bit extra as well. But I think Qatar just got fed up in the end. It, the talks were going on and on and not getting anywhere. How much money do you reckon the Glazers have extracted out of the club since they've owned it? Uh, it's very hard to tell. It's in the hundreds of millions. And they will make about... They're sitting on an asset for which they didn't pay any of their own money, um, really. Um, and it's probably worth now conservatively $5 billion, but it could be worth a lot more than that. Everyone usually talks about the negatives of the Glazers being there. What do you reckon the positives were? Um, the positives were that they built the commercial side. They did very well on the commercial side. Um, they did take Manchester United to a new level on the sponsorship commercial side. That really is the only... And they did give... They, they haven't held back on transfers. I mean, the United have had have spent more money on transfers than virtually any other club. Um, but those are the positives. The rest um, is really negative. They tried to get into other sports teams outside of US and the UK in India. That didn't go very well with the uh, IPL. Yeah, they made, they made a bid for the IPL, for a team in the IPL that was very low. Um, there's rumours they'd like to get into Formula One. Um, I, I don't know. I mean... Uh, I think the cricket thing was quite serious mm. but they did make a bid but um as ever they came in too low too low on the money is there anything else you want to talk about in in the book because there's a few other things like the rock of Gibraltar the the that incident that happened with Sir Alex Ferguson and the the Irish businessman would you like to explain how that happened and what happened in that uh, well uh, what it started as a joke where John Magnia, who's the richest man in Ireland, or one of them, um, he had a horse that won a race called the Jim Crack, which is a famous race at York Races. And the winning owner of the Jim Crack gets to make a a, a big speech every year. It's like the, um, the State of the Union speech about horse racing. Magnia, who's actually quite a shy man, had already made the speech before, didn't want to do it, so he suggested his friend Alex Ferguson. And the York committee said they didn't want Alex because he wasn't the owner of the horse and he was a football manager and wasn't he a steel, son of a steelyard, shipyard worker from Glasgow? And this was pure snobbishness. So John Magnier was very annoyed by this and set out to find a horse that would win the Jim Crack, um, told his trainer, the famous trainer called Aidan O'Brien, to um, find a horse that'll win as the Jim Crack. Aidan O'Brien came up with a horse called Rock of Gibraltar, and that was registered in the names of um, Sir Alex Ferguson and Susan Magnier, who's John's wife. The horse won the race. Ferguson made the speech. But then the horse turned out to be too good. The horse went on to win six more races at the very highest level. 
the major as number one racehorse in the world in 2001. And no one admitted that Alex hadn't paid anything for his share of the horse. Um, everywhere it was described as Alex Ferguson's horse. Um, and meanwhile, the Irish Magnia and his business partner, J.P. McManus, who's also a billionaire, they had bought shares in Manchester United. So you had this strange situation going on where the the biggest shareholders in the club were friends of Alex Ferguson. Um, but then they fell out because Alex Ferguson asked how much he would get in the breeding rights. And at stud, that horse was worth 50, 60, even more, 60 million pounds at stud. And the Irish said, you're not getting anything. You've not paid anything for the horse. It's not yours. It's ours. And then they had a, an almighty row. So then you had a situation where Alex Ferguson had fallen out with the biggest shareholders. And that's what enabled Malcolm Glazer to step in. But after after they did um, approach Malcolm Glazer and then the Irish uh, businessmen, they decided to um, kind of stop with the stuff they were doing. They, they didn't want Glazers to actually come in to buy the club, did they, afterwards? Who? I think Who? it was David Gill. David Gill no, went they in. Did. They didn't want the Glazers. They were very wary of the Glazers. Um, but in the, the end, there was nothing they could do because the Glazers bought the shares, the shareholding controlled by Magnier and McManus, and that gave them control of the club. 